do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 31. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This week's episode is the final in the series where Eddie is talking about designers, design education and design knowledge. It's been part of our series as we're exploring the ideas and the issues around knowledge in design and technology. Take a listen to what Eddie has to say this week and if you hang around to the end of the podcast episode you can hear me talk about how you can get involved and contribute to our project and the book that we're currently writing about the issues in design and technology and exploring the ideas about knowledge in D&T. Enjoy listening. Clearly I'd already formed many preconceptions concerning design epistemology before I read the expert panel's report but doing so certainly focused my mind It was disturbing and it was apparent that despite the wide recognition of the value of design education within higher education, it was not recognised as being a central concern for general education. The often expressed idea that for the design field the knowledge that might be drawn upon is unbounded can lead to the lazy assumptions that designing is a process-based activity that draws its knowledge from other fields and hence that it does not have its own epistemology. Although there are aspects of that position that are credible, I never supported it an adequate description of design activities. This is what I wrote in 1998. Individual designers operate within a particular design area, and it is possible from the design activities in that area and its products to identify knowledge, skills and values which it might prove helpful for the individual designer to acquire. This is not a causal relationship, i.e. the acquisition of these knowledge, skills and values will not guarantee the designer success. Neither is it an exact relationship. There is no guarantee that for a particular project the designer might not need to acquire further knowledge, skills and values. Knowledge, skills and values so identified represent common elements associated with the range of activities and products studied. It's not an irreducible minimum in the sense that each element occurs in each activity and product they are likely to be more disparate than that. They are elements that are associated reasonably frequently with activities or products in a particular design area. This is the essence of the difficulty faced by all those charged with the task of determining design curricula. Design curricula in higher education often focus on a more tightly defined design area than those in general education. 
and it would seem to me that this is the underlying reason that it's more possible to establish a consensus on which their curricula can be built. I'd also had personal experience of different ways of knowing. I had worked as a research engineer at the Welding Institute and each project was undertaken by a research engineer with an academic background like mine. I had studied engineering as an undergraduate and welding technology as a postgraduate and a welding engineer who had served a full apprenticeship. It was quite apparent to both me and presumably the, the management who provided the working structures within the organisation that these different ways of knowing led to different ways of thinking about a problem. I'd also been working on the polymer guitar project and I was fully aware that Rob Armstrong had made six to seven hundred guitars at that point, now over nine hundred, essentially all different and all successful. He knew exactly what he was doing and was able to advise us on the polymer guitar project concerning such matters as material selection and strut patterns based on his wealth of experience. I recognised in Rob practice what others, such as Maria Aburishna and John Langrish, have called purposive pattern recognition. Rob Armstrong clearly fully understood technology for guitar design, although he might not be able to articulate it in the manner that a scientist might expect. My 2013 editorial concerning design epistemology and curriculum planning was founded on three elements. The 1982 report on understanding design and technology Water Vincenti's analysis of technology for the purposes of aeronautical design, and as Ken Baines reminded me, the work of Vitruvius concerning Roman architecture. Design and technology in general education had always been based on designing within selected design areas and with associated curriculum development projects. It had developed into a very important set of learning experiences for children, but it would always struggle to demonstrate disciplinary coherence unless the underlying reasons for having to select particular design areas was properly understood. As I wrote in the editorial, a curriculum derived from the lobbying conducted by special interest groups and selective curriculum development projects tends to be something of a patchwork and lacks a core disciplinary strand. When it comes under challenge, there is a serious risk of fragmentation and the whole looking rather less than the sum of the parts. And at least to some extent, that's the position that design and technology in the English National Curriculum now finds itself in. As design and technology always offered a selected range of design experiences, it would always be contested, and rightly so. That's what helped to keep it refreshed and relevant for many years, as changes occurred in the design world and the technologies available to it. Such a curriculum construct was a healthy enough position and didn't have the risks associated with adopting a more generalised experience of design education. The move towards a single GCSE curriculum has provided an opportunity to demonstrate that much has been learned about offering children design context to explore since the previous attempts in 1990. Having just helped to complete an A-level textbook, Advanced Design and Technology, in 1989, I was in the process of resetting my research targets when two interesting offers came along. The first was from Curriculum Videos, who were based at Aberystwyth University and were looking for authors for video scripts to support the introduction of the new subject, design and technology, in the national curriculum. With Steve Garner, a colleague in the Department of Design and Technology at Loughborough, we wrote the scripts and supported the editing for six video programmes to help bring the then new design context into the classroom. These were the home, the school, recreation, the community, and business and industry. 
and together with an introduction, the six programs focused on identifying design opportunities. The programs were completed in 1991 and sold around 400 copies. Regrettably, the curriculum they supported was abandoned in 1992, and we never had the chance to evaluate the effectiveness of this strategy. There was an inevitable concern that children could identify design opportunities that were difficult for them to pursue and for teachers to support within the existing physical and educational constraints. Consequently, when I was approached by Longman to see if I had any ideas on publications that might support the introduction of design and technology into the national curriculum, I sought to collaborate with Leicestershire advisory teachers on a book that explored Leicestershire's approach to design education. I was aware that under the leadership of Andrew Fairburn, as the Director of Education, Leicestershire had developed broadly based design facilities and associated strategies for teaching and learning that might offer some support to the new approaches being pursued nationally. Regrettably, this book was no more successful than the videos. So in my view, they were worthy efforts to support the challenging strategy that had been adopted for design and technology in the 1990 national curriculum, but not significant enough to have had any impact in resolving the difficulties that have resulted from the new curriculum. It has to be hoped that recent changes to the design and technology curriculum will be given sufficient time to mature and for supporting curriculum initiatives and resources to emerge. So thanks for listening. And now you've heard Eddie's thoughts and thoughts in previous weeks from me and others about what we see are the issues or some of the issues around design and technology and epistemology. So now it's over to you and we'd really like your contribution and your thoughts about what you see as the issues in design and technology around knowledge and epistemology. If you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll get advance notice about how you can get involved in a more practical way. Because what we've been doing is we've created the first draft of a book that's about the podcasts, about knowledge and our initial ideas. And it's an opportunity that we're giving to you if you'd like to. and We'd really like you to get involved with your contributions to what these debates are around knowledge. So if you signed up to my newsletter, and I'll put a link in the show notes to how you can sign up, you'll get the first preview of that very draft form of a book and how you can get involved. Eddie's also done a blog post on the Loughborough Design Press website with a little bit more information and some thoughts about where we're going from here. So have a read of his blog post. I'll put in the show notes the links to the other podcast episodes where we've talked about knowledge. Sign up to the newsletter and you'll be able to find out how you can get involved and how you can make a contribution to this debate about design and technology. Once we've finished the book with your contributions, that will be published in 2021. And we're working on a second book that responds to those issues that gives some solutions or some different ideas from different perspectives about how knowledge is structured and what form it is in design and technology. And later in 2021, we'll be running some online workshops and hopefully, if we're in a place to do it, some face-to-face workshops with teachers and those involved in curriculum development in design and technology, where you can talk about whether the different solutions that people are proposing around the structure and form of design and technology work for where you are and what you're doing. So, as I said, get involved. We'd really like your contributions to make this discussion even richer, that it's not just me and Eddie talking about our ideas. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. Thank you.